Uh, with our time left, I just have a, a little bit of an Advent reflection for us tonight. Um, Advent is a season of the church calendar that helps us prepare for the arrival or the advent of Christ. Um, and as I've been thinking about this idea of preparation, uh, as I've been reading, I've been thinking about what it means to be prepared and what it means to prepare for something like this, as I've been reading through the birth narratives this year. Um, and it's helped me reframe something that's always been really interesting to me about the birth narrative stories, but it's helped me see it in a new way. Um, the thing that, well, one of the things that has always stood out to me in these stories surrounding Jesus' birth is how everyone reacts so calmly to just like the most outrageous thing they've ever heard in their lives. Uh, in, in Luke, we first see uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who is a, a, an elderly couple who, uh, Zechariah is a high priest or one of the priests and um, Though they are both old and though Elizabeth is barren, they are told that they're going to have a son and he will be a prophet and he will pave the way for the Messiah. Um, Zechariah doesn't react poorly to this news. He asks some questions, which kind of gets him into some trouble. But overall, he's pretty quick to get on board with this outrageous news. Elizabeth seems to be just fine with, with all of this happening from the start. Similarly, Mary... Um, is told that even though she's a virgin, she will become pregnant and give birth to the creator and sustainer of the cosmos. And her reply basically is, sure, whatever you need. <laughs> Joseph is told, hey, uh, you just married this, this woman and she's pregnant, but the child isn't yours, which he probably knew, um, but, but it's okay because it's actually God. So don't divorce her. Um, when the child is born, name him Jesus, and uh, by the way, he's going to save the world, and Joseph does it. Joseph doesn't even ask any questions. He just does what he's told. On the night that Jesus is born, there's shepherds in the field, and they, they hear from an angel and then see a ton of angels. Uh, they hear from an angel that the Savior of the world has just been born in the nearby city, and that they can go find him there laying in an animal trough. And what they basically see, say is, no way, let's go see <laughs> Everyone seems to respond so calmly to their world being turned upside down. That's always stood out to me. But this year it struck me that, that maybe they're not really calm. They're just prepared. They don't seem surprised, really. They're prepared for this absolutely unexpected situation. The people surrounding Jesus' arrival all seem to have this incredibly persistent hope that God is at work and that God is going to deliver on his promises. So they're not surprised when they see that come to fruition. They're prepared because this is what they've been hoping for. Their persistent hope is, is all the more incredible when you consider the situation of their lives. At the time of Jesus' birth, Israel has been under brutal Roman rule for about 60 years. Um, they've survived at this point at least two major uprisings in which the Romans and the Roman-installed Jewish king um, slaughtered tens of thousands of, of Jewish people, sometimes including women and children, and burned entire cities to the ground after false messiahs led rebellions. This happens twice, right around Jesus' birth. Uh, the Jewish people are ruled by a brutal and violent and oppressive empire um, and a Roman-picked and installed king who basically does anything that Israel or <laughs> that Rome tells him to do, even though he's supposed to be the king of Israel. 
On top of that, the Jewish people have, have helplessly witnessed the functions of the temple and the high priesthood be corrupted and consolidated by a, a few very rich and powerful families that are essentially also very pro-Rome. They've seen previous so-called messiahs lead thousands to violent ends. They've watched Rome oppress and subjugate their people. They've watched their leadership, the people who are supposed to be God's representatives, the people that are supposed to care for them, fall into corruption and exploit them just like Rome has. Everywhere they looked, they saw evidence against any hope that they may have had that God had not abandoned them. Every single day of their lives, they looked around and saw evidence that they should give up hope. But in the midst of this, how? How are these people so persistently hopeful that, that God would still make good on his promises, that they're so ready to believe it the instant they hear it? I really have a, a, a hard time believing that I'd be able to keep faith and have that kind of hope. So how were they able to? I think it's at least in part because they were steeped in, their, their culture and their, their practices were steeped in the stories of hope found all throughout uh, the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament is brimming, brimming with stories of people in dire circumstances looking back on God's faithfulness in the past to give them hope in the present. Here are just, just a few examples, um, some of the more famous ones. Uh, Moses, in the book of Exodus, is out in the wilderness, and he comes across a burning bush, and through it, God speaks to him and tells him, I'm going to send you to Egypt to deliver my people out of slavery. And when Moses freaks out about first hearing a voice from a burning bush and also the prospect of him leading a rebellion against his former family and the empire of Egypt, God reassures him that God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the same God that 400 years earlier promised things to your ancestors, and I'm continuing to work to make good on those promises. After... Uh, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. Any time that he runs into a situation where he begins to doubt or lose faith or the people begin to doubt or lose faith, which happens a lot, God continually reminds him, I brought you out of Egypt already. Like we've done the hard part. I'm not going to abandon you. Look at what I've already done and trust what I'm going to do. And in fact, uh, in the book of Exodus, Passover is established, which is a, a festival that commemorates literally every year, the same way that we do Christmas or Easter, uh, commemorates to the Jewish people that God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And to this day, Jews around the world celebrate Passover to remind them of what God has done for them in the past. Fast forward a few hundred years and you have David, really famous king of uh, Israel. And I mean, we know the most famous story of David is David and Goliath. But pre-meeting Goliath, David is actually anointed king and promised that he would rule one day, even though there was already another guy who was the king of Israel, um, which kind of puts David in a precarious, treasonous situation. But um, right after being made that promise, based on that promise that he will rule in the future, when uh, David does face Goliath, he thinks, you know, God has saved me from murderous beasts in the wilderness trying to eat my sheep. I know that I have been promised that I'm going to rule this nation, so why should this giant be any different? Why should I be afraid of him? And he goes into battle to face him, and we all know how that story ends. Fast forward again a couple hundred years, and there's a guy named Jeremiah who, um, <laughs> the things have gone pretty far south since David uh, 
the kingdom has split in two. The northern kingdom has been conquered. And as Jeremiah writes, uh, the southern kingdom has just been conquered and the people have been dragged into exile. And uh, the king has been captured. The city is destroyed. The people have been hauled away to Babylon. And in the center of this immense anguish of what should be a completely hopeless moment, Jeremiah relays this totally unexpected message of hope. He recalls how God brought them out of slavery in Egypt and how he established his kingdom through David and concludes that God will not abandon them even now. And through Jeremiah, God promises the exiled people of Israel that he will bring them back and restore them and restore the temple. And 70 or so years later, we read in the book of Ezra about that very thing coming to fruition and God making good on his promise. So when presented with moments of fear or despair, time and again, these people choose hope. They choose to believe that God was going to show up based on um, basing that decision, that hope on God's previous goodness. Hope based on the promises fulfilled. Hope from the past. It wasn't always on their timeline, usually not at all. It wasn't often what they expected. Again, usually very different from their expectations, but God makes good on his promises. He did then, why not now? I think it's this posture, this relentless waiting on God, regardless of present circumstances, that allowed Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth and the shepherds to be so hopeful, to be so prepared, to be so responsive when Jesus arrives, again, despite their present circumstances. God shows up. He did it before, he'll do it again. I think this is what they saw as they looked back on the stories of their people. It's what made them so prepared and so ready to believe when they saw God showing up in their present. Hope from the past. I think we can learn something from that. This Advent, as we prepare to celebrate Christ's arrival, if we too want to develop a courageous and persistent hope, if we want to receive hope from the past, I think we should first First, immerse ourselves in the stories of God making good on his promises throughout Scripture, both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. And second, I think we should look back on our lives and take inventory of the times that God has shown up. You might have trouble thinking uh, of times when God has shown up in your life. If you're anything like me, it's far easier to recall when things go bad than when things go well. But if you're hearing my voice right now, I can almost certainly guarantee you that God has shown up for you. I know the stories of a lot of the people in the room here tonight, and none of us have had an easy, perfect life. We've all dealt with some incredibly difficult and, and even terrible situations. What got you through? How are you still standing? Think of times when unexpected provision showed up or when someone made you feel truly known and seen and loved. When the word of a, a friend or a mentor or a total stranger gave you exactly what you needed to get through that day or that month or that season of your life. Or what about the miracles? When, when, you, when we get the job, when we find the room or apartment or house, when the adoption goes through, when our kids are healthy, um, when the treatment actually works, when the marriage is restored, um, when the cycle of addiction is broken, when war is averted, 
when leaders choose justice over corruption, or when we feel undeniably loved and cared for in the midst of a deep pain and loss. All of these, from the littlest, seemingly insignificant, up to the most miraculous, are evidence of God showing up. I choose to believe that that's true. I think we need to make a record of these things happening in our lives. We need to write them down. We need to take inventory and keep lists of God's goodness in our lives. We need to look back on, on, on our records when we're tempted to despair. And we need to share them with each other, um, offering encouragement and inspiration and hope for God's goodness to one another. Uh, Psalm 145 that is purported to be written by David talks about how each generation should commend the works of God to the next so that each generation can hear from the previous the ways that God showed up for them. Why have we stopped doing that? What a beautiful way that we could give and receive hope from the past. Now, none of this means bad things don't happen. They do, obviously. Scripture makes no promises that bad things won't happen. In fact, it, it assures us of the opposite. I think the combination of natural chaos and, and human free will and the forces at evil mean terrible things are inevitable. And God's history of showing up and making good on his promises means goodness is too. And I'll just be really honest with you, as a much more cynical person than the opposite, uh, that's a hard thing for me to say. But I really, at my core, believe it. Suffering is inevitable, but goodness is too. I think we can stand firm on, on hope simply by looking to the past. From just our recent experiences all the way back to ancient history in Scripture. To remember the ways that God has been faithful and made good on his promises. He's done it before. <laughs> he can do it again, and he will do it again. We can receive hope from the past. So this Advent, may we prepare for Christ's birth by taking inventory of the goodness of God showing up over the course of our lives. May we share those stories with one another. May we remember what God has done and may we gain hope from the past. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that, um, that you are good. Thank you that your love endures forever. God, thank you that you make good on your promises. Thank you for stories that we can look back on to see the times that you have shown up. And God, I pray that we would be able to look back in our own lives and write those stories down of when you showed up for us. And that we would begin to develop uh, the habit of looking back on those, especially in the times when we're tempted to despair when we're tempted to fear. God, I pray that we can find and develop a courageous and persistent hope from the past. God, we love you. Amen.